You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Hey, listen, just leave them with the Lord and let Him bring those things to fruition. You know, rather than placing the pressure upon ourselves. No matter what those goals may involve, just leave it with the Lord. Once again, unless the Lord builds the house or the kingdom or whatever those goals may be that you've set for yourself, they labor in vain who build it. So don't strive, you know, uh, to get to reach those goals. Just leave it in the Lord's hands. When you begin a relationship with the Lord, He invites you on a grand adventure. You see, God has plans to do amazing things, and He wants you to be a part of them. The cool thing is that it's not something you have to muster up or figure out. Like Pastor Mike explains today, you should let God shoulder the responsibility of making things work out. As you look to Him for direction and strength, you'll see how He shows up in ways that blow your mind. You'll never go wrong when you leave it in his hands. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 3 as he begins his message, Pitfalls of Power. was pitfalls of uh, power. At the present time, remember, Israel has become a nation divided into two kingdoms, the kingdom of the north, the kingdom of the south. Ishbosheth, Saul's youngest son, who just recently uh, was killed in the battle against the Philistines, that is uh, Saul, his youngest son, has now ascended to the throne. He's actually been put upon the throne by Abner, who was Saul's general. Uh, and he's reigning there in the northern kingdom. But really, Abner set up a puppet regime because Abner is really in control. While David, who has just recently accepted the request of the elders of the cities of Judah in the south to be their kings, uh, rules in that uh, area. And so we have the beginnings of a new dynasty. And notice here, according to our text in verse 1, the biblical writer emphasizes upon strength and Weakness. So let's get right to it. Let's begin in verse 1. Now there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. But notice, David grew stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul grew weaker and uh, weaker. You see, God is sovereign, gradually bringing his plans to fruition. And uh, in spite of all of the speed bumps in the road, all of the delays... Nevertheless, notice again, David's is, his kingdom is 
getting stronger and stronger while the house of Saul grows weaker and uh, weaker. Okay, so we learn here that this new dynasty, referred to as the Davidic dynasty, uh, David's uh, being the king, during this time, remember, up until this time, David was an outlaw. And uh, remember those many years. He had become the head of a bunch of mercenaries. And during which time, he had no uh, children. No children had been born uh, to David. But now he is settled in, in the city of Hebron. Remember, God instructed him to go up to Hebron. And he went there with his men. And there he was crowned king over the southern kingdom of Judah. And we are presented with the practical evidence of God's blessing upon his uh, house. And as I've already mentioned, this is the beginning of what was known as the Davidic uh, dynasty. Okay, let's go on in our text, verses 2 through 5. Sons were born to David in Hebron. His firstborn was Ammon uh, by Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess. His second, Chilib by Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. The third, Absalom, the son of Maha, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur, the fourth, Adonijah, the son of Haggith, the fifth, uh, Shephashiah, the son of Abitai, or Abitai, and the sixth, Ethram, by David's wife, Eglah, there were born to David in Hebron. So we have the list of the names of the sons that were born to David during this time. Now someone at this point might be thinking, why so many wives? And uh, isn't this really against what God had instructed uh, David? And yes, this was true. In fact, in the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 17, uh, in verse 7, God serves up a warning to all of the kings uh, going forward not to multiply wives, because the result of that would be that they would turn their hearts of the kings. And so David is actually breaking the seventh commandment, and that is the commandment concerning adultery. So, you know, also we are mindful of the fact that isn't this, wasn't it God's intention for one man and one woman to live together in a unique and lasting marriage relationship? And yes, that is true. Remember in the book of Genesis, in chapter 2, uh, in verse 24, when he brought the first man and woman together for the purpose of marriage, that is Adam and Eve, he said, and this is God's heart for the marriage relationship. And there we are told, according to the text of Scripture, that the man shall leave his mother and father, cleave to his wife, and they shall both become one flesh. But it is also true that God in the law permitted Israelites to have more than one wife under certain circumstances. Like, for example, if, uh, like, uh, if your brother's wife, if the brother had passed away, then as the brother you were able to and given license to take that woman as your own. So under certain circumstances, God allowed multiple uh, wives. But nevertheless, those men who took on additional wives were responsible for uh, providing for them, and the responsibility of providing for them rested upon their shoulders of that individual. And let me tell you something, this was a heavy uh, weight, and it was also a very expensive uh, proposition, you know, having more than one wife or multiple uh, wives. 
this mostly happened under unusual uh, circumstances, that, uh, as I had already uh, mentioned. But anyway, what the biblical writer, I think, is trying to show us here in this section of uh, 2 Samuel is that his blessings were upon his servant, uh, David. You know, as a cross-reference for this, I'm reminded of what the psalmist declares in the 127th Psalm in verse 3, that children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. But anyway, we're told that David had many wives. In fact, these weren't the only children that were born to David. In fact, David had 10 sons in all. But back then, within that culture, having multiple wives were very common practice. And adding many wives was one way great men, and especially kings, expressed their power and status. Well, anyway, David was troubled because of his many wives, again, going against what God had commanded him as the king over Israel. And this is also true of any person that breaks any of the commandments of God or fails to obey them. And, you know, some people actually wonder why the Bible doesn't expressly condemn David's polygamy here, but is, as often the case, the scripture simply states the fact and later records how David reaped the penalty for this sort of sin in regard to his family. Like, for example, and we'll see this as we continue to go forward in our studies here in 2 Samuel, Amnon, which is one of the sons uh, mentioned here in our text, raped his half-sister and was murdered by his half-brother. And then also in this list, we are introduced to a fellow whose name is Chilib. The few mentions of this son indicate that perhaps he died young or that he was an ungodly, unworthy young man. Then you have Absalom, and probably more of you are familiar with uh, Absalom, one of David's sons. Remember, he murdered his half-brother and led a civil war against his father looking to kill him. Then you have Adonijah, who tried to seize the throne from David and David's appointed successor, as we will see. And then he tried to take one of David's concubines and was executed for his arrogance. And then you have Shepha, Shia, and Ethraim, uh, and they either died young or were ungodly and unworthy because they are mentioned uh, only once again in the scriptures in a generic listing of David's sons. So once again, David reaped the penalty for this sort of sin in regard to his family. He should have just simply obeyed the Lord. Well, anyway, now many writers have also faulted David for being a weak father. And it's been suggested that David neglected his children. Not only that he neglected his children, but also that he didn't provide for them the way that he needed to provide for them that he didn't give them the kind of instruction that was uh, necessary. They also had suggested that David indulged uh, his children, uh, not providing them a proper example. But I don't think that this is the truth, in spite of the fact that most of them, uh, with the exception of a few, actually rebelled against their father. Because take note of the kind of instruction uh, that he gave them. Like, for example, here's a cross-reference in the 34th Psalm, in verses 11 through 14. And, and again, I think that this proves that David made an investment in his uh, children. Notice the exhortation there. Come, you children, listen to me. Now, this is David who wrote this psalm, and he's addressing his children. I will teach you the fear of the Lord, or to reverence the Lord. 
who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So this was David's advice to his children, his exhortations. Let me give you another cross-reference for you. And these are the words of Solomon, and, uh, which was also one of David Solomon, although he's not listed here as these firstborns of David in our text. But, for example, in the book of Proverbs, in chapter 4, in verses 3 through 6, when I was my father's son, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother, so this is Solomon now, uh, referring to uh, David and David instructing him when he was uh, a young child, when I was my father's son, he also taught me and said to me, so these were David's words, instruction to his son Solomon, let your heart retain my words, keep my commands, and live. Get wisdom, get understanding, do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Verse 6. Do not forsake her, and she will preserve you. That is wisdom. Love her, and she will keep you. So I think that David was actually invested in his family and encouraged and exhorted them. So I believe that David was a good father, contrary to what some people uh, have suggested. He did not allow the many external concerns of being king to distract him from his involvement and instruction and neither should we. Remember, the lives of the members of our family have been entrusted to our care. And therefore, we are to nurture our children. Not only our children, but our spouses as well. We are to encourage them. Do whatever we can do to build them up. To instruct them in the word. And, and also instruct them by example. You see, they can't be left to themselves. If they are left to themselves, they will learn the practices of unbelievers. But also, what do we take away from this? You know, when we consider as going forward, how that they rebel. Listen, there's no guarantees. You might make that investment in your children's lives, but there's no guarantees that they're going to continue to walk and follow the ways of the, of the Lord, you see. And, uh, but nevertheless, we are to make that effort and make that investment in the lives of our uh, children. Now... The scene here shifts to the city of Mahanaim, and there the picture is vastly different from the one of domestic satisfaction that David enjoys. That is, the blessings of God upon uh, David and his kingdom increasing. The pressures of repeated failure is causing tension for Ishbosheth and Abner in the north. Let's pick up now in verses 6 through 11. Now it was so... Well, there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David, so there was the civil war that continued to uh, take place, that Abner was strengthening his hold on the house of Saul. And Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, the daughter of Allah, uh, Ai. So Ishbosheth said to Abner, Why have you gone into my father's concubine? Then Abner began came very angry at the words of Ishbosheth and said, Am I a dog's head that I belong to Judah, that belongs to Judah? Today I show loyalty to the house of Saul, your father, there uh, to his brothers and to his friends, and have not delivered you into the hand of David. And you charge me today with the fault concerning this woman. 
May God do so to Abner, and more also, if I do not do for David as the Lord has sworn unto him, to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah from Dan to Bathsheba. And so here Abner has begun to think of his weak and vacillating cousin. And yes, this Ishbosheth was actually Abner's cousin. The king as an impediment to the fulfillment of his personal uh, plans. And Ishbosheth has seen Abner assume more and more authority and feel increasingly at ease. And truly now Ishbosheth realizes that he's just a puppet in the hands of Abner. But with all the authority Abner has assumed, it still hasn't led to victory in Judah. So the civil war continues on. And so they're both learning a very hard lesson. And that is, according to the 127th Psalm in verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house or the kingdom, they labor in vain who build it. Now, you know, let, let's bring this down to personal terms. You know, the things that we're looking to achieve, maybe goals that we're looking to attain. Hey, listen, just leave them with the Lord and let him bring those things to fruition. You know, rather than placing the pressure upon ourselves. No matter what those goals may involve, just leave it with the Lord. Once again, unless the Lord builds the house or the kingdom or whatever those goals may be that you've set for yourself, they labor in vain who build it. So don't strive, you know, uh, to, get, to reach those goals. Just leave it in the Lord's hands. Well, anyway, notice there in verse 7, a hostile confrontation erupts between Abner and Ishbosheth, and Abner, notice, is accused of taking Rispa, Saul's concubine, into his bed. But notice there is no evidence that's offered uh, to this indictment that has been brought against Abner. So, you know, it has to raise the question was Ishbosheth actually inventing this to get rid of Abner? You know, realizing that Abner is just using him for his own purposes. Really, Abner is really behind uh, ruling the kingdom in the, the north. So was Ishbosheth actually inventing this to get rid of Abner? Now, to do this, you know, this accusation that was brought against him, taking one of Saul's concubines, would be to lay claim to the throne. And that would have meant that that would have been a serious charge, a treasonous, immoral act. Now, notice the way that Abner uh, responded to this indictment that's been brought against him. He's furious of being accused of adultery, and he loses it. And in his anger, he expresses what he knows in his heart to be true. What will inevitably uh, happen, and that is that God will move and place David over both kingdoms in the north and the south. Now, what do we take away from this? Notice there, you know, I think that Abner is actually a good example of those who know things to be true, but don't live as if they were true. Remember, Abner did everything that he could possibly do to prevent David from being Israel's next uh, king. Now, again, let's bring this down to personal terms. You know, how many of us know that we are to do what God wants us to do? I mean, you come into a service like this, we're instructed week in and week out, and uh, we try to 
take God's word and explain it in very practical ways that you, when you leave the facility, you can take the things that you've learned and, and put them into practice in your life's experience. And, you know, we sit in these seats week in and week out. And we're instructed and, you know, we're sitting there and we hear the word going forth and we're absolutely in total agreement with the word and, and the word that's being preached to us. And then we walk out the doors, but we never come around to putting those things that we've learned into practice. And so I, I think Abner is a really good example of those individuals who know things to be true, what we should do, but never getting around to do it. We don't live up to what is true, what we are instructed to do in the uh, word. And so Abner is a great example of this. He did everything that he could possibly do you know, to stand in the way of David being Israel's next king. Well, anyway, he knew that it was inevitability that David would reign as Israel's next king, that David would rule throughout all of Israel. And notice now, Abner moves in that direction to bring it about. And why did he move in that direction? Well, to assure a position for himself in David's administration. And thus, he wastes no time making good on his threats. Okay, let's go back to our text now, and let's read verses 12 through 16. Then Abner sent messages on his behalf to David. Okay, so now he's moving to place David as king over the entire nation of Israel. So he, first of all, uh, goes to the elders of, throughout all of Israel, saying, Whose is the land, saying also, Make your covenant with me, He's speaking to David now. And indeed, my hand shall be with you to bring all Israel to you. So once again, Abner is seeking to secure a position in David's administration. And David said, good, I will make a covenant with you. But one thing I require of you, you shall not see my face unless you first bring Michal, Saul's daughter, when you come to see my face. And remember, Michal was... At Michal was actually David's first uh, wife. So David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, Saul's son, saying, Give me my wife Michal, whom I betrothed to myself for a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. Now that was a part of David's dowry. Remember, that was required by Saul uh, to marry his daughter Michal. And uh, quite a crazy request, but nevertheless, uh, David did that. He killed 100 Philistines and he brought the 100 foreskins of the Philistines back to Saul. So that was a part of the agreement that David had made with Saul. And Ishbosheth sent and took her from her husband, Paul Tiel, the son of Laish. Notice there was no question concerning his rights. Then her husband went along with her, weeping behind her. Father's house, there's a place for me in my Father's house, where I long to be. Oh, my We're so glad you joined us today on In My Father's House for our continuing verse-by-verse -verse study through the book of 2 Samuel. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Mike, please visit our website at harvestnyc.org. You can listen online, just go to the Resources tab. Otherwise, you can find them on oneplace.com. 
and search for Harvest Christian Fellowship or Pastor Mike Venizio. Viewing our recent services can be an option as well through Vimeo. We also invite you to subscribe to our podcast. Just search your favorite platform for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio. If you're in Midtown Manhattan and looking for a church home, come visit us here at Harvest Christian Fellowship. We meet every week for worship, Bible study, and fellowship. It's easy to get here. You get directions and service times at our website. If you can't make it in person, that's okay. Join us on the live stream to participate in our services virtually. Just follow the link at harvestnyc.org. If you happen to have any questions for us, give us a call at 212-247-1877. That number again is 212-247-1877. You can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram too. Just follow the links on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. We're so glad you took the time to listen in today. And we hope you'll join us again next time on In My Father's House. There's a place for